Welcome to Whiskey and Wino. Oh, now that I have a fancy mic, I don't care about you and your stupid little mic. Yes. Welcome to Whiskey and Wino. And I do um, have a fabulous new microphone. Shout out to Kim. Thank you ever so much. And we're going to hopefully be able to do another episode with Bigfoot Stan. Oh, hey. This microphone does multiple people. Like you can have it be an interview. Like it can hear two people at one time. Well, now I'm jealous and now I want one. And when Marquand comes next week, if I got, if I had one, then we could record with Marquand. Now you're making me jealous. I'm sorry. Maybe I'll record with Marquand when he gets back to California. I fucking hate you. (laughs) (laughs) He's never coming back. I'm not going to let him. I don't know how long he'd last out there. Doesn't matter. I'm just going to put him in the tower. The tower. I need friends. Better than the dungeon. Yeah. See, I'm not going to make him live in the basement. He's going to at least be in the tower, which I guess would be this room. Mm, Well, there's no door in that room, so I think he would come and go as he pleases. (laughs) You think he'll catch on? (laughs) Just put an electric fence, like one of those dog electric fences. (laughs) A little collar if he walks too far out. Don't leave me. So speaking of shout outs, we also have a special shout out for Miss Jessica. We do. She is our newest Patreon. She's also a dear friend and she also sells Avon cosmetics. So hit me up if you guys want to buy some amazing products. Oh yeah, Uh, definitely. I was going to say text us, but on Facebook, let us know. (laughs) We could, we can hook you up with her. Page. I don't, is that how they do it now? You like yeah. go online to the page? Yeah. Yes. And she's super awesome and she throws in free gifts. She's an amazing person. She'll let you try stuff, Fantastic. you know, before you buy. So, but she also, as our Patreon, she gets to pick up, pick, pick up. She doesn't get to pick up anything. I'm not going to make <laughs> her pick up anything. She gets to pick our, um, what our story is going to be on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. An episode. Yes. So, so I want to tell you what I'm drinking right now. Okay, please do. So I had to go to Walmart today Fun. and I was, I was in the, the self checkout and I was like, Hey, I asked this Walmart chick that worked there. I was like, where's your Red Bull cooler? And they're like, Oh, it's down at the end. And I'm like, of course it's the opposite fucking end I'm at. So I was like, okay. And she goes, do you want me to go grab you one? I was like, sure. So she goes, what kind? I said, the yellow, the tropical. She comes back with this like pink watermelon she goes this is the yellow one and i'm like it's freaking pink and it's watermelon but i I didn't want to be a dick so i'm like sure i'll take it It it's pretty good so i have it mixed with strawberry rum right now huh i didn't realize that red bull had different flavors i thought it was just oh god they have like 12 different flavors but this is one i've never had before and it tastes more jolly rancher watermelon so it was pretty good i was like all right I'll forgive her. Yeah. I'm very kind that way. You're really forgiving. Yeah. You know, pay it forward. (laughs) So today, Jen is going to go first. Yes, I am. Um, This week, we are going to get into Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm I'm not going to go through his life. I mean, he's an amazing man, full of firsts and bravery, and um, that's not really our podcast. Our fashion is more uh, 
murder. So <laughs> I'm going to be, murdered. yes, I'm going to be covering his murder. Well, it's actually an assassination because he's a political type figure, civil rights. Um, and then we're going to go into a little bit of the conspiracy. So this isn't really, we're not getting into his upbringing and that sort of thing. So with that being said, we're going to jump right into April 4th of 1968. At 6.01 p.m. Central Time, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot while he was leaning over a balcony in front of his motel room. A little fact here, a motel is different from a hotel when the door to your room is on the outside. So you don't have oh. to walk through a lobby to get into it. So it faces the street, basically. I didn't know that. I've always wondered. But that makes sense. Motel yeah. 6, they're always on the outside. There's no lobby, per se. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So he was at the... Um, the the motel is called Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. He stayed there so often uh, with his friend, uh, Abernathy, Ralph Abernathy, who was also worked with Martin Luther King Jr. in civil rights movements. Um, they stayed in room 306 so often that they called it the King Abernathy suite. <laughs> and... He was is it still there? Do you know if it's still there? It is still there, but it is now a museum. Oh, okay. Really? The whole hotel. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. To yeah, Martin I don't Luther think King? it is a civil rights national oh. historic museum. Huh. So I don't know exactly what else they have there, but they have like the room that he stayed in is all the same as it was. Yeah. I did not know that. It didn't become, I think they reset it because it didn't become a museum until I think 1991. So I think it was still operating as a motel until they decided to make it into a museum. Hmm. Um, so I didn't, re- I didn't know this, but the reason that he was leaning over the balcony when he was shot was because he was speaking to the Reverend Jesse Jackson. And he yes. was... They were going, you know, they were in a conversation and he was kind of leaning to where his waist was over the railing. And because he was leaning this way, the gunshot hit his cheek and went down his spine, hitting and severing his jugular. Oh, Um, Jesus. And then the bullet eventually got lodged in his shoulder. So Ralph Abernathy, who was also staying with him this time um, in room 306, He was inside of the room at the time that the shot happened and he Ralph ran out to the front door after he heard the shot and found that King was slumped down on the balcony. He had fallen backwards due to the shot. He had like completely fallen over onto the balcony. Um, And because King was unconscious, it was presumed that he was dead. So Abernathy just assumed, you know, He's dead. Let's call the police, you know, that sort of thing. But there was a man, Andrew Young, found that Martin Luther King Jr. had a pulse. So it became super urgent. On something that I read, it said that they called the authorities. 
I think they had called the authorities before they realized that he was alive because then they drove him to St. Joseph's Hospital, which was really close. And I couldn't get the, I couldn't nail it down to any specific one, whether it was an ambulance or a police or if it was his friends that brought him. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that are yelling at the their radio right now telling me <laughs> how it actually happened, but I couldn't nail it down. So um, at St. Joseph's Hospital, Martin Luther King Jr. was pronounced dead at 7.05. So he was shot at 6.01. So it was an hour and four minutes later, he's he's dead. I mean, he, the bullet hit his jugular. The jugular. So that's, yeah. That's you're kind of it out. So then the police come, they start, you know, talking to witnesses and witnesses say that there was a man fleeing from the house across the street from the motel. So this is, uh, this motel is located west of Memphis proper, but it's not all the way in West Memphis, if that makes sense. Like it's just right outside the downtown Memphis. But the streets are not, I mean, it's probably two lanes on either side. So four lanes total was across the street where this house was. And this house was a boarding house. So it wasn't just a family house. So they had to figure out who the tenants were, who was staying there, how many, you know, how many tenants there were. They, before they found the suspect, they found that the shop was sh- that the shot was shot out of, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the, the, the person who shot Martin Luther King Jr. had, sh- how do you even say that? Why, and why am I totally, <laughs> the bullet was fired. There it is. There you go. The bullet was fired out of the bathroom window of the boarding house due to the trajectory of the bullet. That's, you know, and witness statements, they figured that out. So it was later determined that a man named James Earl Ray was the one who had fired the shot. The police, while looking for this person, uh, they kind of ran where witnesses said that he had ran around the house and they found a package. It was pretty nice and neat, kind of just left there, that had the gun, the gloves, his fingerprints, you know, all of the stuff that you really need. A murder kit. Exactly. Um, and it was in a bag. So we'll get into the conspiracies, but it was pretty like he was fleeing for his life. You know, the witnesses saw this man bolt, but yet he had time to pack up everything nice and neat and then just throw it nonchalant outside. (laughs) I don't know. It also had binoculars, uh, and they all had James Earl Ray's fingerprints. Are you afraid you're going to say James Earl Jones? Because I, I probably am, am now. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't really think about it. When I was it. writing it, I kept doing it and I had to keep backtracking. Oh. And I was like, I'm totally going to say James Earl Jones. Poor That's James funny. Earl Jones. You didn't do this. You're no. You would never. No. He's Mufasa, right? Yeah. And Darth okay. Vader. Oh, right. I'm more on Mufasa level than age. That shows (laughs) your age right there. Darth Vader and then he's Mufasa. Yeah, but I'm not really a huge Star Wars fan in general. So I don't know if that's age or whatever. 
It's okay. I forgive you. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So James Earl Ray, I'm going to, I, now it's in my head. I'm going to fuck this up. So just, I, pres I'm, I'm, I apologize ahead of time. Uh, he was not new to crime. So in 1949, he was convicted of burglary in California. And in 1952, he was convicted of armed robbery of a taxi driver. He spent two years in prison for that one. Then in 1955, he was convicted of mail fraud. He stole money orders in Missouri, spent four years in Leavenworth. And in 1959, he stole $120 when he robbed a St. Louis Kroger grocery store. Oh. While in prison, he was serving a 20-year sentence due to all of his convictions, ending with the Kroger um, armed robbery. He was in the Missouri State Penitentiary. He decided to dip out, and he just hid in a bread truck and left prison. Dip out. <laughs> yeah. He was dip like, out bye. Because he hid in a bit of bread truck. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I wonder. <laughs> no, I can't claim to be that clever. I'm like, I wonder if my subconscious thought it that way to write it that way. But I, I'm not that clever. You're kind of a genius. I've been called that. I've been called worse. <laughs> but um, so he escaped prison. So while he was murdering Martin Luther King Jr., he should have been in the Missouri State Penitentiary. So. He was pretty well versed in the underground living and evading arrest and that sort of thing. He had been living in Mexico, making his living as a porn director. Oh, wow. After he had fled the Missouri State Penitentiary, he left Mexico because a sex worker that he was in a relationship with went south. So he decided to flee Mexico and come back to the United States. When he was back in the U.S., he was in Los Angeles and volunteering at the George Wallace presidential campaign headquarters in <laughs> Hollywood. Uh, yes, Shocking. absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, he wanted him to become president because he had an interest in keeping America segregated, which appealed to Ray because he was an open racist. I mean, this was, he was not shy about it. He did not nope. bite his tongue. He was open and completely upfront about it. In 1968, early 1968, he had a facial reconstructive surgery to help evade arrest even further. Oh, wow. And it's the 1960s. So it's not as if there's constant updates on like America's most wanted. So a little bit of facial surgery can go a long way in huh. helping you evade arrest. So authorities are searching for this man who was associated with the fingerprints on the murder weapon and the binoculars and his face wasn't going to match, you know, cause he had had facial reconstructive surgery and he hadn't been arrested after he had that surgery. So nobody knew what he looked like. However, I did not know they had that technology back then. He probably just had a nose job, you know, like I don't think it was like face off. It was just right. That's totally yeah. what I was picturing. <laughs> That's so funny. I was like, wow. Yeah, I don't think that really. I should watch that movie again. That was it's a, a good, good movie. movie. It yeah. was a good movie. Uh, so two months. This manhunt is on. 
for this guy, James Earl Ray. And he's found at the Heathrow Airport in London. He's trying to flee London to South Africa. Now, remember, this is during apartheid. So he's trying to go to, I forget what the country was called at the time. Rhodonesia? Yeah, it's now Zimbabwe. But yeah. I wondered because I was like, I've never heard of that country. Right. Okay. So it's, it's Zimbabwe now. Okay. Right. It was it was called something different. It's the whole Myanmar, you know, <laughs> there's it, they changed it, whatever. Um, so being apartheid, it was it, he could have been under the impression that he would be praised because at that time there was a, the, a minority of people were white, but all the white people had the power in Zimbabwe, political power speaking. So it's possible he just thought, hey, even if he gets there, they don't have extradition. And if he assassinated a huge black civil rights leader, they would have maybe hoisted him up on a chair. <laughs> Although I think that's kind of a Jewish tradition that would go against his <laughs> being racist. Right. But you know what I'm saying. They'd, he'd be celebrated. He didn't get the opportunity, thank God. Um, because even if you're going to go into what we're going to talk about, the um, the conspiracies around whether or not he actually did it, he's still a fucking bad dude. Like, he's just right. not a good guy. So He's still a piece of shit. Right. So even if he didn't pull the trigger on killing Martin Luther King Jr. He still should have been in prison. Like he still should not be out hurting people. Anyhow, I kind of jumped ahead quite a bit, but he was brought back to the U S he pleaded guilty to first degree murder on March 10th, 1969. He later recanted the confession, which I believe it was three days later yes. claiming that his attorney advised him to take a deal to avoid the death penalty. Ray said that his brother, John, and a man named Raul, not his real name, but Ray didn't know his real name. Uh, Raul was from Canada. Um, he said that his brother Johnny and Raul were the ones who actually pulled the trigger. Uh, Ray did say that he knew about the plan, but that was as far as it went. He didn't actually do anything. His appeal failed, obviously, because he had just pled guilty. He was to spend 99 years in prison, but Ray had other plans. Again, you know, he likes to dip out. He and seven other prisoners at the Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary in Tennessee decided to take matters into their own hands. And on June 10th, 1977, they left. They escaped the prison. Um, this time ended much different than the time before. He was caught June 13th, which was three days later. Ooh. He was given an extra fucking year on his That's sentence. That's it? Yeah. So it was an even hundred years. You know, I'm speaking with no authority at all. Like, I don't know shit about shit. But I have heard, mostly through uh, fiction via movies, 
that depending on the days or hours that you are is that you have been outside of the prison walls on your escape, it equals a certain amount of hours or days added. So it's possible that it if three days equals one year, you know, maybe it's like one day equals, I don't know. However, that gets divided 33% of a year. <laughs> um, so I don't know. But he only served 29 of those years before dying in prison at the age of 70 on April 23rd, 1998. He had complications from kidney disease and liver failure from hepatitis C, which he had been stabbed while in prison and underwent a blood transfusion, which is where they think he got hepatitis C. Good. And he suffered. Yeah. He maintained his innocence. And he didn't want to be buried in the U.S. because his. Are you done with your well, breathing? Well, I'm never really going to be done with my breathing. But. I meant your aggressive breathing out of your pipe. Your out pipe. Of my pipe. Now, you sound, <laughs> now you sound like a 90-year-old man. Right. Your pipe. Like, all right. Yeah, he didn't want to be buried in the U.S. because of his opinion of his wrongful conviction. So he was cremated and his ashes were spread in Ireland. By sure Ireland was very thankful. Yeah. Well, Ireland's I, like, we don't want him. Well, and you're fucking dead, dude. Like, you're dead. You just throw him in the trash and just, like, move on. Right? Who's going to care? No one. An interesting. So when I'm when I was reading about James Earl Ray. I kept thinking when they were saying the Brushy Mountains Penitentiary in Tennessee, I was like, why have I heard about this? And yes, I've heard about the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., you know, in school and through the History Channel and all of that stuff. But they never really go that much into James Earl Ray and his life and that sort of thing, because it's so much and it shouldn't be. I mean, it, rightfully so. It's all centered around Martin Luther King Jr. and his upbringing and, you know, the, the change and movement that he was a part of. So I was like, why do I know this shit? So last year, Dave and I watched or maybe it was two years ago, whatever it is. There is a marathon, an ultra marathon that runs around the area that James Earl Ray and the six other convicts may have ran when they escaped prison. And it is called oh. the Barkley Marathon. It's there's a documentary about it, which, you know, me, if there's a documentary, I've seen it. So <laughs> this marathon, it's a hundred mile race and it's about 20 miles a lap. And there's no directions. There's no signs. There's no water stations. And to register for the race, you have to write an essay and submit the essay about why you should be allowed to run the race. You oh. also have to send in a dollar sixty fee. And if they accept you, you must bring a license plate from your state and a I don't even know what I wrote with her. A white t shirt from my memory, white socks, or a flannel shirt. If you That's finish specific. It is if you finish the race and return for another race, you must submit a pack of camel cigarettes. Because the guy who runs it just sits there and chain smokes and watch these guys and girls run around this fucking 20 mile loop. They do it in the dark. So I th they have. Um, That's so bizarre. They have 60 hours to complete this 100 miles. 
um, while running. So each, uh, you know, how there's bibs um, for yeah. races. Well, there's no bibs for this race, but you get a, a page number. So like, say your page number is 50. There's books located at all of these checkpoints and you have to rip out that page of the book and bring it and turn it in. And that's your proof that you did the whole lap. Um, it's a really underground type of race. It's not something that normal people do. And uh, what's the point of that race? Just to run, to run it. There's no point. There's why pick, no. Why pick that particular person, James Earl Ray? Well, I think it's because it started um, with this, with James Earl Ray and the six other convicts. I think it was just a mass escape. I don't think anyone really paid attention to what those convicts did. I think oh. it was just like the largest escape in the history at that time. And they're, they didn't go far. I mean, it's rough terrain. Like Ray only went eight miles in three days. Oh, just wow. to give you an idea, like it's rough. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it, I just thought that was really weird. Cause the whole time I was writing it, I'm like, why the fuck do I know this Tennessee like location? Why does that sound familiar to me? Um, but yeah, uh, he died in 1998 and that's that. I mean, he's, he didn't come from a good family. I think he, you know, an Irish family, there's, I don't know, probably 15 children. I don't know. His father's name was nicknamed Speedy um, because he was on the wrong side of the law, bouncing checks and, you know, doing whatever. So I don't think he had much of a chance to be a completely upstanding citizen. This is way too far, you know, passing back checks perhaps even robbery, but like assassinating someone who's like a huge historical figure, even during his time, you knew he was groundbreaking. It wasn't like you needed 50 years to realize, Oh, he was a good guy. Like people knew what he was doing. So I asked my mom if she remembers where she was when this happened. She goes, Oh, absolutely can tell you exactly what I was doing and and I said did you think it was James Earl Jones <laughs> I said it James Earl Jones <laughs> <laughs> she did not think it was James Earl Jones for the record okay um, I said did you think it was James Earl Ray and she's like yes and no but JFK had just happened to and Bobby Kennedy and well not just mm. happened in the last few years in the 60s yeah yeah and Bobby Kennedy so she's like so everything was kind of a conspiracy theory in the 60s Mm. But I could see that. I could see that. So, so she does remember. Um, what was she doing? Did she say? She was uh, watching my sister when it came oh. over the radio. My sister was like five years old. She's like, I just picked her up from school. So, cool. so yeah. nothing super interesting. Just normal no, day. I just wanted to say that she remembered that, and she's like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But they, unfortunately, they weren't doing anything very exciting. Yeah. So I'm going to go over the conspiracy theories. And I used ReadersDigest.com, NationalArchives.com, of course, Wikipedia.com, 
and the BBC. So when um, broadcast journalist Walter Cronkite broke the news of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination to the American public, he reported that police had issued an all-points bulletin for a well-dressed young white man seen running from the scene. But then the investigation turned to James Earl Ray, a destitute middle-aged fugitive from Missouri State Penitentiary, where he'd been serving 20-year sentence, like Jen said, for robbery. He had been on the run for a year and was arrested two days after the shooting of Dr. King. So it was out of this disconnect that the Wait, first time news- out. He wasn't arrested two days after. It was That's two months wrote. after. Oh, I, I have two days after the shooting. Oh. Sorry, I don't know. I don't know which is correct. <laughs> well, he was in London, so I don't know that he could have ran and then flew to London and head out in London at Heathrow Airport before he was arrested. Maybe it was two days before they knew who it was with the fingerprints and everything. Maybe. You know what I mean? I wish I knew which source I got that from so I could look it up. Um, um, So it was out of that disconnect that the first seeds of doubt on Ray's guilt were kind of put out there. Martin Luther King's assassination had been investigated five separate times since in the last 53 years. Five different Senate committees and that have opened all the way up to like 2000, I think 2005, maybe. So one of the things that they find kind of interesting is that they think Dr. Martin Luther King kind of knew that this was coming on Mm -hmm. April 3rd, 1968, which would have been the day before he delivered what would be his final public speech. And, um, There had been many threats against him, of course, noted the Reverend Samuel Bill Kiles, saying that King talked about death and even his own death more that night, which would have been April 3rd, than he'd ever heard him talk about dying. But Hmm. for some reason that night before, he just, I don't want to say harping on it, but just kind of kept bringing it up, which I thought was kind of interesting. I wonder if there's any sort of... um, You know, looking back on it, maybe people think... So, but maybe he thought that way for a while, but nobody really thought too much about it. But then the next, you know, he said it and then the next day he was murdered. You know what I mean? Like maybe he did. He was, I mean, I, I know from what I've read, his wife was scared to death because he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't take precautions that other people said you should like, you he know, wanted maybe, to be with the people. He mm-hmm. wanted to be with his people and not in a bubble. Absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. So about the cover-up. So Dr. King's wife, Coretta Scott, always suspected of a conspiracy theory involving the FBI. Um, Georgia State University history professor John McMillan said that Mrs. King's suspicions had merit. During the 1950s and the 60s, the FBI had not only placed Dr. King, his family, and his associates under surveillance, but had engaged in a campaign of harassment against King, which was revealed in FBI uh, memorandums. Really? So I didn't realize that. Me neither. Um, Mrs. King and the King children maintained that at the very least, the FBI was not in a position to conduct any kind of unbiased investigation. Mm Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons they think it wasn't James Earl Ray was 
Um, so the FBI investigators traced the shot to the boarding house, like you said. Mm-hmm. And they found the murder kit, the binoculars, the newspaper clipping about King's stay in Memphis. Right. Wrapped in the green blanket, the fingerprint evidence pointed to Ray, and the rifle was also traced to Ray. When Ray was captured, just like you said, at Heathrow Airport, he was on his way to Brussels and then on to Rhodonesia. Mm-hmm. He had a Canadian passport. He had left from Toronto, which that led to more doubts because he wasn't a sophisticated criminal. Like, he was a petty no. thief, really. Well, and he seemed to kind of get caught in everything he did. Yes. Like, it exactly. wasn't like he was a mastermind. Absolutely. Other than his escape from prison the first time. He he was on the lam for quite a bit, but no one's looking in fucking Mexico for this guy. They said it was almost too intricate, although I, I don't I don't see it that way, per se. I don't think it's that smart of a escape plan per se because he got caught. But maybe yeah. it's just like a running. I don't know. I don't know. But also, I mean, you don't have to be smart to think that you're doing something good. I mean, look at Booth assassinating Lincoln. Like he thought he was going to be a hero. I mean, he thought everyone's going to worship me. And then when it happened and people didn't worship him, he was like, oh, fuck. I mean, I could definitely, yeah, I could definitely see how James Earl Ray was kind of in that mindset of like, people are going to worship me. If we want to use modern day, the whole Capitol thing that went down last week, you know, all those people, I mean, I don't know what their thinking was, the mentality. I don't know. I can't think for other people, but a a lot of them that have been arrested so far were like, yeah, well, they were like, we didn't know, like it was going to be this big of a deal because they're looking at, you know, quite a few years in prison. This isn't yeah. just like, here's a fine, here's a ticket. So I think they all thought, oh, it's fine. This is where we're in a movement. And then they're like, no, dude, you could do serious freaking time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they bring up, you know, treason and all these other things. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I never know how it's going to show up. So um, another part of the conspiracy theory is after Ray was arrested, Ray's lawyer advised him to plead guilty in order Mm -hmm. to avoid the death penalty, just like you said. Um, He did 99 years with his, yes, his criminal trial, blah, blah, blah. Within three days, just like you said, apparently Mm -hmm. we went over the same kind of facts. Ray did an about face and retracted his admission and claimed he'd been set up by Raul. Um, Ray never received another trial and died in prison in 1998. Mm -hmm. Ray claimed that Raul, a gun runner with mafia connections, instructed Ray to purchase a rifle, secure a room across the street from King's Hotel, and then go to a three-hour movie, leaving the rifle behind in the room. It was during this three-hour window during which King was shot. Federal investigators have concluded time and again that Raul didn't exist, yet at least one witness was willing to testify that he'd seen Ray with the man described as Raul. So does Raul bear any resemblance to James Earl Ray because the witnesses are are describing James Earl Ray as fleeing from the boarding house I'd just be interested I mean yeah I think yeah I, I know from just reading about the psychology of witness statements like eyewitness statements uh race plays a huge role And if a black person is identifying a black person or a white person is identifying a white person versus 
crossing those. It's really difficult to pick up like the way that our brain is wired. It's easier for like a white person to identify detailed features of another white person or, you know, Vice same person. race, basically. Like if you're identifying someone from your same race, you're going to pick up some more details because your brain already assumes the rest of it. And it has time to pick out the small details versus if it's another race, it's it's less familiar to you. Even in this has been documented in uh, people who are, say, a white person who was born and raised in like 1960s Harlem. Like even, it's so hardwired in our lizard brain that even if you grow up with these people, like you can't uh, assimilate in that hardcore of a psychological like witness, eyewitness statement. So it'd be interesting to know who was identifying him. If it was a if it was a right a black person identifying the white person, it was probably Raul and James Earl Ray could probably be interchanged. Like I mean, right? You know, say like five like ten, a middle aged white, white guy, guy. You know, exactly, like, exactly. The population. So then they come up with the Wallace link, like you said, George Wallace. In 1979, the largest government investigation into Dr. King's murder, which is led by the House of Representatives Select Committee on Assassinations. What? And there was a committee on that? <laughs> no. Yeah. In the 1960s, I could imagine there should be. There was well, a lot of fucking assassinations. This was in 1979. Oh, gotcha. So uh, 10 years later. Yes. Okay. So, they theorized that Ray committed the killing in the hopes of collecting a $50,000 bounty offered by supporters of segregationist presidential candidate George Wallace, who Dr. King called the most dangerous racist in America. The wow. committee was unable to prove this theory, but did conclude that King's murder was likely the result of a conspiracy. And the same okay. committee. Go ahead. I was just, I'm not super familiar on the history of that point. Was Wallace a presidential hopeful or was he a candidate for the party? Like, was he going to run or was he just I believe he someone was a candidate. like. He ended up being the governor of Alabama. Oh, fucking perfect. No. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. So I don't know. Add if a little more to that Jim Crow. Right. I mean, I remember reading about him in history, not a lot, kind of one of those little blurbs on the side. So I do believe it was with a party, a major party, but mm. I honestly, I don't know. Yeah. So that same committee also investigated the assassination of John F. K. John F. K. I was going to say JFK and John F. Kennedy. <laughs> so it's John F. K. That's what I call him. Um, Kennedy. <laughs> you guys are tight like that. We're really close. I wasn't even born then, but hey. Um, helping support conspiracy theories and unanswered questions. George Wallace, for those who, like I already said, was the governor of Alabama, and he was a big racist piece of shit. So he gets grouped with the next theory, which is the KKK conspiracy. Oh. In the book, The Awful Grace of God, authors Stuart, Stuart Wexler and Larry Hancock argue that the Ku Klux Klan of Mississippi was responsible for issuing the bounty that led Ray to murder Dr. King. They cite a dozen assassination attempts against King by white supremacist groups and the fact that on two occasions, the white knights of Mississippi 
actually did offer a bounty up to $100,000. Fuck. In the 60s? Yeah. In the 60s. Wow. That's, so a, some, that's a lot of cheddar. That's a lot of cheddar. So some have claimed that this angle has never been investigated. James Earl Ray had a, like you said, had a distaste, distaste for the black inmates he had racial incidents in California and in Mexico. Uh, Ray's brothers were also racist, and they were never quiet about their hatred of other races, which you also went mm-hmm. over. So this is where it gets super interesting, and I did not know this, and this is fucking fascinating to me. So I'm excited. <laughs> wait, <laughs> fine. Okay. In 1993, a former Memphis restauranter, restauranteur, by the name of Lloyd Jowins, came forward to say that the mafia had paid him $100,000 to plan King's assassination and that the trigger was pulled by Lieutenant Earl Clark of the Memphis Police Department. Hmm. Lloyd Jowers owned the coffee shop, Jim's Grill, on the first floor of the rooming house, which is where the shooter was that killed oh. Dr. King. Jowers decided to come out after 25 years after watching the HBO mock trial of James Earl Ray. As a result, Ray, who was ailing at the time, pushed for the case to be reopened and an, an investigation to, to go look into that. But it went nowhere. Um, but one of the prosecutors involved in the investigation admits that Ray or whoever pulled the trigger could have definitely had help. This is where I think it gets interesting. In 1999, the King family sued Lloyd Jowers for Dr. King's wrongful death and won. What? They hired the defense attorney from the HBO mock trial. Wait, Lloyd why Pepper. have I not heard about that? I like, thought the same what thing. The fuck? I, I was old enough in 1999. I was in my 20s. I was, a, I was in high school. And I have so, no recollection of this at all. But it's I can super rem- interesting. That's insane. I can remember vividly on the news the Columbine shooting. Yeah. Around this time. And but I Oklahoma do not City remember at, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I do not, Princess Diana's death. Yeah. I mean that's it's very around the same. So I yes, was that was like ninety seven, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I was looking at the news. I mean yeah. I mean, you think this would have been a big deal and I didn't know about it either. That's why I'm like, well, this is fascinating. Uh, doesn't um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s family believe James Earl Ray? I'll tell you in a minute. Did. Oh, okay. You just hold your horses. I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. <laughs> Wait, I mean, what's our line? We'll get to that. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> so the trial lasted four weeks, had okay. over 70 witnesses and thousands of documents. Jowers went on the stand to say James Earl Ray was a scapegoat. Shelby County jury made a unanimous decision within one hour, finding Jowers and the unnamed others, including governmental agencies, were responsible for King's death. The judgment was only a symbolic win for the King family because a civil suit cannot reverse a conviction. And the King family was only going for $100 in damages. They just wanted, wanted vindication. Exactly, because they're good people, and they're not trying to get money out of it. They're trying to get right. history written the right way. Correct. Yeah. And 
They said they no longer, after this trial, they said they no longer wanted to answer the question, do you believe James Earl Ray killed your father slash husband, whatever he was to you? So that's Mm -hmm. why they went forward with the suit. They were so sick of answering that question. Well, we know that with the Rebecca Zahau case, with Mary Zahau pushing that civil case that she won against Shacknai. Right. It didn't reverse anything. And our fucking peach of a sheriff decided to fucking put his head in the sand. So, yeah, I can't. I, I mean, that's incredible that that's not something that is discussed openly. I mean, I looked at James Earl Ray, you know, right, left and sideways. And none of that came up. Yeah. No, no idea. No, nothing. So this is um, the last of the conspiracy theories, but to me, it's also one of the most significant. Um, So the city of Memphis filed a formal complaint against Dr. King and the SCLC, which is the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. When he returned to Memphis on April 3rd, 1968, he was under surveillance by the Memphis Police Police Department. Two plainclothed officers followed him, one by the name of Detective Edward Reddit. Another four officers were assigned to protect Dr. King. Dr. King's entourage said they never asked for protection. So at 5.05 that day, the third, they were recalled back to the police station. Inspector Tynes said he doesn't know why they were called back. It wasn't planned. The chief of police, McDonald, has no memory uh, at all of the whole police protection. He doesn't remember telling his people to go there, telling them to come back. None of that shit. He's playing. I don't know. The two detectives that were that were still following Dr. King without Dr. King's knowledge. um, I believe Edward Reddit is African-American. I don't know if that makes any kind of difference, but I wanted to throw it in there. Okay. Um, so him and his partner were still following Dr. King, and Dr. King didn't know. Detective Reddit received a chilling call from a woman telling him that he was doing the black people wrong. Reddit and his associate were told to return to the police station because him and his family were getting death threats and would have to stay in an undisclosed hotel location under an assumed name. He then heard on the police radio that Dr. King had been shot and killed. And all of a sudden, the threats to his family were never brought up again. Oh. So then in 2007, retired Memphis police sergeant Jerry Williams revealed in an interview with uh, Democracy Now! On the day Dr. King was assassinated, the usual security team that would have included Williams himself was not deployed. This has led to speculation that the local law enforcement had been involved or at least aware of the conspiracy to murder King. And mm-hmm. they also discovered that five Memphis Police Department um, policemen were being paid by the FBI to spy about things related to Dr. King. Hmm. So in, you remember um, um, the guy Jowers, the one that they sued? Yeah. He said that a police lieutenant. lieutenant shot Dr. King, that he was the actual shooter. And then there's all this supposed evidence that the Memphis police were involved the whole time. Okay, so something that I have learned from uh, my friend's husband, 
I don't want to call anybody out on anything, but you know who you are if you're listening to this. Um, he's all into conspiracies. And so he's always saying every time I talk conspiracy with him is when it gets bigger, it almost most people think, well, it can't be true because there's no way it can involve that many people. But right, it's to keep almost it quiet. like exactly. But it's almost like the bigger it gets, the easier it is to believe because everyone thinks it can't be believed like there's no as soon as it gets that big it's like there's no way that there's that big of a hush hush whatever like i think just looking at i don't want to get political into whatever's happening now with uh you know black lives matter and and that whole thing i don't really want to get down into that but from a 1960s perspective, politically speaking, and I think you can probably bring that into present day as well. It's hugely threatening to the political powers to have a person of color stand up and and, you know, rally the troops, per se. It's hugely problematic because. It doesn't. Any sort of political aspect, when you get a group of people saying, that's not fair, that's not right, I don't like this, you lose control, you lose power, which personally speaking, I think should happen. I mean, that is part of the democracy, right, is like that fucking should happen. But looking at it from the people in power's perspective, I mean, look at the apartheid. Uh, in South Africa for so long. It's such a minority of people who had power. Right. I mean, the amount of white people in Africa is a a drop in the ocean, yet they are the ones who held all of the power, unjustly so, in my humble opinion. Well, like you said earlier, if you think you're doing the right thing, like, oh, Dr. King's creating all this, these riots or these protests or this and that and these crowds, we're doing the right thing, you know, but really you're just scared. You're just following along. You're just being a sheep. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking, but that's what I'm assuming. You you think you're doing the right thing. I mean, this police detective or this chief that's like, I don't, I didn't put any detail on him that I recall. I don't remember pulling him off. So you just don't remember shit. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, you they protect each other. They protect the blue, you know, just like in the military, you're loyal to who you're loyal to. And I don't know. Well, it's a, it's it would a be whole... interesting to know if, if Dr. King had lived, what he would think right now. Well, I think on a, on a separate note from that, there were multiple disruptors in the 60s, one being JFK. You know, I mean, there were I think it was kind of the era of shut them up before shit gets problematic. We had had Vietnam going on. You had the hippie movement and it was a bunch of shit. It was an interesting time to be alive for sure. I'm pretty sure I was supposed to be around in the 60s. I would have been a great hippie. Bottom line, I think. Um. 
I don't think that the government was totally um, innocent in MLK Jr.'s death. I, whether or not they knew and didn't do anything, whether or not they just let it happen, whether or not right. they were just complacent, I don't know how big of a hand they had in it. I don't know if they planned it, if they like understood. You said, just looked the other way. Exactly. But maybe I that's don't, why they recalled them back. Exactly. And I don't I don't think they're innocent, which is, I think, why they I mean, the burden of proof in a civil trial is much, much less than yes. in a the court of law. Um, so I think they probably did win that, not necessarily because this lieutenant actually did it, but right. because his police force in general was at fault, whether it was not protecting or not helping or had a bigger hand in it, whatever the case may be. I don't think that there's innocent parties um, of authority. Right. He didn't work alone. Right. For sure. Yeah. And that seemed to be the error of assassins not working alone, just setting up scapegoats. Yeah. So that is our, our tribute to Martin Luther King Jr. Since uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm not going to take away his doctor. He earned that. We're actually um, recording on his birthday. Yes, we are. So That's why we're dedicating this. Mm -hmm. It would be so interesting to know what he would be, what it would be like today if he had not been killed. It would be super interesting, honestly. But we'll never know because some shit had killed him, so... There you go. Yeah, he was a fucking fat waste of space. Like Danger he didn't away. do Yeah, he didn't do shit. Whether or not that's what I was saying, like whether or not he actually pulled the trigger, he's a fucking dirtbag anyway. Right, like still, he was, if he could have, he would have. Uh, absolutely. And I'm surprised I I think just in the small bit I've read, I feel like the reason why Martin Luther King Jr.'s family cited that James Earl Ray <clears throat> did not pull the trigger. I think part of that had to do with the fact that he is not a sorrowful racist. He's not a reformed racist. He's not someone who would not take credit for it if it didn't happen. Correct. Because Agreed. They, Agreed. Just, just by saying that his family... Um, and children agree that James Earl Ray was not the sole person to do this does not by any means mean that they were friendly. Like this isn't a story of like, oh, I hope you get out of prison because you're right. a good guy and I know you didn't kill my family member. This guy is a piece of shit, racist. I think that's that proves to the I mean. I don't want to speak for the family like that's not my place, but it kind of seemed in things that I read that perhaps that was something that weighed on them was like, why wouldn't he admit it? Like he's right. in prison already. There's nothing he can do. There was no all of his appeals were done. It wasn't and like they never say if he had any kind of military background because that was a pretty clean shot. It was one shot that killed him. And they never say like he had, you know, was he a sniper? I mean, I don't know how straight the shot was honestly 
I've never tried to shoot anyone from that kind of distance. I wouldn't know. It seems but, strange, though. Wouldn't you think it would be easier if they were just standing? Like, what an odd time to assassinate him. Like, leaning over a balcony. Like, How'd you know he was going to come out on the balcony? Did he come out on the balcony often? Right. Did he come out, or like, did he talk to the crowds from the balcony? I mean, I don't, I don't know. He had to be you know, walking up and down those stairs every day, you know, going down to go do his things and then walking back up to go sleep. It seems odd that you would do it right at that particular time. And then leave your murder kit behind. Yeah. You know, it's like you said, it's all just too crystal clear. Like, okay, here's who did it. Here, let me light it up. Here's the murder weapon. Here's the Mm -hmm. fingerprints. It was just so like cut and dry. Yeah. That it's almost like, too simple yeah i agree but that's us wildly speculating (laughs) we're really good at that yes (laughs) that's our thing so anyway all right well with that that we'll say bye and uh we'll see you next week catch you next week ciao bye